Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. Hear God's word to you this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasure as well as old. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May we have ears to hear this morning. You may be seated. Talk about loss. Um, my sister passed away in her early 40s. She was um, eight years older than me. So, uh, Although I was a teen through the 80s, my wife, as you know, says I'm stuck in the 80s. Um, she was actually in a teen in the 70s. And to this day, when I hear certain sappy, you know, top 40 love songs, they bring me back to being in the car with my sister on the central Jersey Shore and just riding down the street, being with her. And they bring back very fond memories. I also remember sitting in the family living room with what my mother would call the family Victrola. Some of you don't even know what that is. But it's a record player. It plays those vinyl things. And I remember um, my sister had all these albums, so I would just throw them on randomly and I would listen. And I remember there was, she liked to listen to some soft rock. Not my bag of tea, but when I was a boy, I would listen to whatever she had. And one of the bands she listened to was a band called Bread. Now, you know, I knew when I was going to give this illustration, I'm like, most of the people in this room, you know, but as I look around this morning, there's a little bit more folks my age and older. I don't get to see that too much. So you may remember the band, Bread. They had a number of top 40 hits in the 70s. And one of them came to my mind, crazy as it is, one of them came to my mind when I was preparing this message, and it's called Everything I Own. And the chorus goes like this. And I would give anything. I own. I'd give up my life, my heart, my home. And I would give everything I own just to have you back again. That song was written by David Gates, and I found out just yesterday. You know, preachers, when they give illustrations, they really need to look up and make sure they understand what they're talking about. So I, I did look it up, the, uh, the, the story behind the song, and actually, he was not singing about a love interest. Right? When you first listen to it, you think it's a love song. About, but actually, according to him, he wrote it for his dad, who had just passed away. Puts it in a little more context, right? But here's the thing. 
No one would ever think to call him a fanatic for penning these words. It touches all of our hearts when we hear it, right? It warms our hearts. We say, you know, what a beautiful thing. that He'd give up his fame. He'd give up his fortune because, you know, he was very popular in his day. Give up his mansion just to be with his dad again. Who in this room can't relate to that to some degree? Certainly those of us who don't heard dad's gone, we know what it's like. And of course, there are songs that do express that exchange. I give up everything when it comes to a love interest, when it comes to romance. And now this one, we're jumping up a couple decades. We're going to go to the 90s. See how quick I move? We're going to go to the 90s. And in the 90s, you might have heard of the band Meatloaf. Another one of those bands, not one of my favorites, but my wife really likes them. So, you know, it's like when you love people, you kind of get the things they love too. But that's an aside point. So Meatloaf had a comeback hit. And I guarantee most of you in this room heard it. I would do anything for love. Remember that? So here's the one lyric. Man, this is some powerful stuff. As long as the planets are turning, as long as the stars are burning, as long as dreams are coming true, you'd better believe it that I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love. But I won't do that. Uh-oh. And you're all going to say, well, what's the that? Well, l listen to the song. The answer's in it. But that's not the point. The point is he would do anything. And that's wholehearted devotion, isn't it? We're, we're, we're moved when we hear about people that are sold out for love, aren't we? When they're all in, when they leave it all in the ring, there's something where we go, yes. But think about it this way. When someone, like you or I, expresses that sold out, deep, passionate, sacrificial love for the one who loved us, and gave himself for us, then what are we looked at? How does the world look at us? Imbalanced, freakish, fanatics. Do you ever notice that? All of a sudden, we take that same love and we give it to the one who died on the cross, who gave his everything to save us from our sins. And all of a sudden, we're imbalanced fanatics. Here, maybe you're not getting it. I'll put it this way. Express this kind of love about a parent, you get a number one hit. Make a lot of money. You express this kind of love toward a lover, you get a number one hit. You express this kind of love toward Jesus, what a weirdo. Well, in Matthew 13, 44 to 52, Jesus tells us these parables. He tells these parables to his disciples, not to the world. To show us, listen, this is very important, the inestimable value of the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, the wisdom of recognizing that inestimable value. And third of all, the one main reason why it is so valuable. And when I say inestimable, I stole that word from John Calvin many years ago. It means you cannot estimate. It is, it is priceless. It's beyond estimation. And we're going to see the first thing in this text, the inestimable value of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the first two parables, this is important, they make the same ultimate point in the end, but with a few notable differences in the two stories. Both refer to two guys who find a priceless treasure. Do you notice that? The one they dig up, they find a hidden treasure. The other one finds what? A pearl of great price. 
Now, the first man, here's the difference. The first man was kind of just going about his life digging and came upon a hidden treasure. It was a surprise. He wasn't looking for it. Whereas the second guy, he was a pearl merchant. That means his whole life was spent what? Looking for that one priceless pearl. You know, he gets these pearls. He's like, yeah, this is good. This is good. This is good. And then one day, aha! You ever, know, you ever notice you go to a store, this happens to me all the time, and I'm looking for something, and my wife's like, well, just tell me what you're looking for. And I'm like, I don't know until I see it. See, women, they don't lie. They don't know. But I, I'm, until I see it, I don't know. That's what's happening here. He's looking, he's looking, he's looking, and when he finds it, there's no more questions. But this is what's true about both of them. Both of them, upon finding the treasure, listen, they sell everything they have in order to secure that one priceless thing. So what does the first guy do? And this, this is important as we get into the meaning of this. You've got you to understand. The first guy, he finds the treasure in the field, and what does he do immediately? Does he take off with the treasure? No. He rehides the treasure, buries it back like nobody's been there, and then he goes, he sells everything he has, he comes back, how much you want for that empty field? And, then, and with joy, he's like, I can't believe it. So he gets it. Now here's the interesting thing. There's nobody in their right mind is going to joyfully give up literally every earthly possession they have for something unless they recognize the ultimate value of the thing that they want to possess. Does that make sense? Sometimes at night, see, I don't know, this is a, God does themes thing with me. Some, gets me in this theme mode. Sometimes when I, at night when I go to bed, my wife's already in bed ahead of me. She's watching a show called, I'm sorry, but American Pickers. She records <laughs> these American Pickers where these guys go around and they try to, they go to folks' houses and, and warehouses and farms where they have these old collections of things and they try to barter with them and then they have their own store and they resell them and stuff. And, um, you know, with me, I'm just like, you're killing me. But, but you know, she'll go, oh, do you want me to turn it off? I'm like, oh, no, no, it's okay. You keep watching it. So I end up having to watch it. But here's, here's one of the frustrating things about it, right? So they'll get a call that somebody wants to unload some of their, you know, in my opinion, junk. They have this stuff that's been sitting there. It's maybe the third generation. You know, it's, it's filling up all this, right, this garage. And they get there, and it's the two guys who are picking, they'll look around, they'll go, Oh, how much would you want for that thing? And the owner goes, uh, actually, that's not for sale. You know, this has sentimental value. And then the both guys are like, oh, all right. All right, well, then how about this one? Mm, I don't think I want to let that one go. And they're going through all this. And I'm like thinking in my mind, it's junk. Let it go. <laughs> but notice the man in the parable. This is interesting. The man in the parable has an estate sale. And literally, he has a sign on every single one of his, his um, possessions. And it says what? It says, give me a price. All has to go. It all has to go. On everything. So listen, this is important to understand. So that means your favorite guitar that you wrote tons of songs on that mean really a lot to you, it's up for sale. The family heirloom that you cannot replace, that painting, up for sale. 
the car that you drove around and heard those songs with, you get the picture? It's all got to go. But here's the, the funny thing about this. This guy is with joy. Get it out of here. Because what's he thinking about? He's not thinking about what he left behind. He's thinking about what? What he's about to get. It's important to see this. Case of the pearl merchant. Don't worry, we're going to get to the point here in a second. He sold a lifetime of pearl findings along with everything else he had just for this one pearl of great price. And you get the idea in the parable. He didn't buy it so that he could resell it. He bought it what? So he could have it. Now you want to know the point. Well, here's the point. The kingdom of heaven is like. That's how Jesus starts. The kingdom of heaven is like. And what's the kingdom of heaven like, according to Jesus? It's like a treasure worth giving all that you have to obtain it. And what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, I'm going to give you shorthand so we're not here for two hours. It's the reign and the rule of King Jesus. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven. And let me make it even more succinct for you. You want to know what the pearl of great price is? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the true message of his death and his resurrection for your sins and for my sins. Let me make it even more shorthand. Shorthand. You know what the kingdom of heaven is ultimately? It's Jesus himself. He's the, the pearl of great price. That it's worth losing all for if you have to. To have Jesus as your savior and as your king is worth more than any earthly thing. That's what Jesus is saying here. And remember, this is a parable. It's super important to understand. We can't press the analogy too far. In other words, not every detail of the parable is to be pressed into real life. So for instance, the guys in this parable, they go and they buy the treasure, right? But we know for a fact you can't buy Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. You can't buy eternal life. You can't buy a right standing with God. As a matter of fact, just to give you an example what the Bible teaches, Revelation 22:17, Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, what? Let him take the what? The free gift of the water of life. Now, you have to remember, who's the one telling us these parables? It's the one who is on his way to a Roman executioner's cross in order to pay the debt that you cannot pay. And the debt that I cannot pay if I had a million lifetimes. I would only owe more. How frustrating is that? Yeah, I'll give you a million more chances. Great, so I dig my hole deeper. David Jackman and William Phillip in their commentary says this. I love this. Now remember, let me say this before I give the quote. Remember, the disciples have already left everything. If you read the, the whole Gospel of Matthew at the beginning, they drop everything and they follow Jesus. You remember that? So now let me read this comment uh, from Jackman and Phillip. These parables are to assure the disciples, this is important, of the rightness of their choice. In other words, these people are already following Jesus, but he's saying, this is the right thing. What you're doing is 
the wise thing. And they add, we need that sort of old-fashioned Christianity where the most important thing that we have ever heard is to put the kingly rule of Jesus first, to put off the old life, to leave the world, to count all things a loss for Christ because we have found the pearl of great price. Here's the thing, and I think it's important to understand this. When we repent and believe in Jesus, when God opens our eyes, because the Spirit has to do that, otherwise it's hidden, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and we see how precious of a jewel that Jesus is and we repent and we believe the good news, guess what's going to happen? Our lives are going to be completely turned around, right? What we value, how we see the world, what we live for will be diametrically opposed to our old way of life. And this is what it means. It means marching to the beat of a different drummer. We don't march to the beat of our sinful self anymore. We don't march to the beat of a world that hates God, despises God. And we certainly don't march to the beat of Satan, Amen. the ruler of, of the prince, the ruler of this air, of this world. There's been a change. And you know what that means? There's going to be a change for many of us in our family relationships. It ain't going to be the same unless they know Jesus too. Maybe our whole career goal will have to change because the career you picked wasn't, wasn't a godly one. Maybe lifestyle choices. Listen, here's the issue. If you are a true follower of Jesus, you may not face this at first, but eventually you will face loss in this life. That's a fact. Because look, maybe you'll have to break it off with an unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend. Am I meddling yet? Yeah. Maybe you'll have to say goodbye to your old friends because they're trying to entice you to sin against your Lord. And you just can't walk that way anymore. Maybe you have to give up a lucrative career to follow the path that God's laid out for you and it's not about the money. But once you found that pearl of great price, this corny song, and yes, I admit it's corny, it still nevertheless is going to ring true in your heart. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a great domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. <laughs> I don't care if it's corny. It's true. You know? That's like one of those songs, I can't really put heavy metal music today. It just, it, it's okay, though, because it's beautiful just as it is. Jesus is saying this is how the kingdom works. Once someone's eyes are open to the inestimable value of Jesus and his gospel of grace, they will give up everything to possess it. You know, it's like, I gotta, I gotta say something. I, I didn't have it in my notes, that means usually I shouldn't say it, but I'm gonna anyway. One of the things that is a frustration to me is when you have to chase people down to come to church, 
unless you call them, unless you harass them, unless you have to literally sometimes go and pick them up, they won't come. Well, I have a hard time believing you met the pearl of great price. Because I'll tell you, these doors aren't going to keep me back from being with God and his people. Because I want to grow. Because I want to say to Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, next song, thank you, thank, thank you. Oh, and by the way, thank you. Second thing we see in this text, we see not only the inestimable value of the kingdom of God, which is Jesus and the gospel, but now we see the wisdom of recognizing this inestimable value. J.C. Ryle, he's an old commentator, so sometimes old is good. And he says this, because he says it better than I could. Now listen, this is my longest quote, I think, from somebody. He says, we see in this simple picture the conduct of a true Christian explained. He is what he is, and he does what he does in his religion because he is thoroughly persuaded that it is worthwhile. He comes out from the world, he puts off the old man, he forsakes the vain companion of his past life. Like Matthew, he gives up everything, and like Paul, he counts all things lost for Christ's sake. And why? Because he is convinced that Christ will make amends for him for all that he's given up. He sees in Christ an endless treasure. He sees in Christ a precious pearl. To win Christ, he will make any sacrifice. This is true faith. This is the stamp of a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen. Only people who are thoroughly persuaded that Jesus and his righteous reign is worth losing everything to gain for will be willing to to leave all and follow him. That's the point. I'm in a song mood this, this week too for some reason. And I, I thought of another song, a song that actually bothers me. You ever have those songs when they come on the radio? The, the, the lyrics just kind of grate you? You know, and this isn't like, you know, uh, what, what's that one band? Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast, 666. But I feel like this is more satanic than that is. And let me read it. It's from a band you wouldn't expect because they're known to have some Christian... Uh, leanings in the earlier years, and it's from the band U2. Anybody ever hear the band U2? Well, the song that I hate by them is called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And I want you to hear the words, because this is really horrible. You'll see why I quote them in a moment. I'm, it's not that I'm picking on U2. They put it out there publicly, and I'm just publicly commenting on it. Here's the tragic line. I believe, he says, in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains. Carried the cross of my shame. Of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. Well, let me tell you something. If he had found the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, if he had seen the pearl of great price in all its beauty for what it is, for, what, for who he is, Jesus, the, king and the, king, the kingdom and the king himself, there's no way you'd be able to say, I haven't found what I'm looking for. Because let me tell you this, this is important. I don't usually preach a lot like this, but sometimes you just got to tell the truth. There's no way you do believe it and a kingdom come if you ain't showing it by living it. 
If you're immersed in the world and you're still living the same old way you've ever lived, then you, listen, I don't know who you met, but it ain't Jesus the Christ. Because true faith in the kingdom to come, true belief in the death and the resurrection of the king of kings for your sins will lead you to react like the men in this parable. You'll give it all up in a heartbeat if he calls you to. Both men were thoroughly convinced of this inestimable value of the treasure they found. And here's the thing. It's only by grace that we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Because I want to, I'm not going to take a long time on this. This will be another sermon. But notice it's hidden to some, isn't it? And did you know parables aren't, weren't told to make it clear to the world? It was to hide it and reveal it to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. Many of you know the story of Jim Elliot. I know it's an old story for many of us. When I first got saved, I heard it quoted all the time. But I think it's a good quote to quote again. Jim Elliot was a martyr for Jesus. He died preaching the gospel to a tribe that had never heard the good news of Jesus. They speared him to death. Well, his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, I'm sure many of you know her, um, going through his journal, read these words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The world will look at us, you bunch of fools. But Jesus turns it around and says, who's the fool? You know why? This life is brief. It's a blip on a radar that never shows up again. Ever think of it that way? The kingdom of God will someday be consummated and King Jesus will reign forever and ever and ever. And then when we're done then, it goes on forever. So you talk about, I wish this sermon would end. We're going to be up there singing some long songs. Like the hallelujah chorus is going to be like a brief little ditty. And this is the last point I want to make. Jesus himself, when we say, well, what makes this pearl so valuable? What makes the, this hidden treasure such a, such a great thing? Now, the whole rest of the Bible gives you about a million reasons, but Jesus is just going to give you one this morning as we come to the last thing I want to point out. And we're going to see one of the main reasons why it's so valuable, and it's in that last little parable Jesus teaches about the net. It starts in verse 47. Let me just read it again. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me give you the bottom line. Someday there's going to be a reckoning. God is not going to put up with forever people rejecting his son and treating each other who are made in the image of God like dirt. He's not going to let it slide. It says right here, Jesus says, and it's very strong language, but Jesus said it. Those who do not value this treasure, that's the wicked, 
will be thrown where? This is his language, fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, people may think we're nuts now for exchanging worldly blessings and possessions and relationships and power and prestige and comfort for the unseen promises of an unseen God. But I'll tell you what, on that terrible, great and terrible day when Jesus comes to bring back his own, they're not going to be laughing anymore. I got one great illustration of that. We all know the story because we do it in cute little Sunday school. It's called Noah and the ark. That poor righteous man, you realize for like 100 years or so, he was mocked, he was derided. <laughs> Look at that fool. He's building a huge boat in the middle of a desert where there's no water. What an idiot. Come on, Noah, tell us more about your God. They kept doing that until what? All of a sudden it started raining. And they said, uh... And then the rain got heavier. And then the rain didn't stop. And then it was too late to get on the ark, wasn't it? Here's the point. Jesus is the only way. I'm going to repeat that. He's the only way to avoid getting the punishment that our sins deserve. He's the only way. So now it makes even more sense why the men in Jesus' parable joyfully went off and sold all they had to buy it. It was a no-brainer. Oh, what a sacrifice. He follows Jesus. A sacrifice? Are you crazy? Jesus did the sacrificing. I get the blessing. I get the joy of sins forgiven. Look, we tend to get embarrassed and we tend to get squirrely when the topic of hell comes up. Am I lying? But in the Bible, guess who brings up hell the most? Not Paul, not Peter, not John. Jesus. And I actually counted. I'm one of these crazy people that I, I'm a little OCD. I won't just look it up online. I've got to count myself. So I went through the whole Gospel of Matthew this morning. And in our text, this is the 15th time Jesus has brought up hell or judgment. And guess how many more times in Matthew he brings it up? Fifteen more. Yeah. Sometimes people will say, if God is so good, how could he send people to hell? But that's exactly the point. If God is good, he has to send people to hell. You know, and we always go to like these extreme people like Hitler. But you think God could say to Hitler, hey, no problem, buddy. High five. Does this sound like a good God to you? Here's the point. God has to punish sin if he's going to be a good and a holy and a righteous judge. If something happened to one of my loved ones and the judge lets the guy off, I would not be a happy man. But here's the whole point of it. it. You don't have to go to this place. Because in God's infinite love and his mercy and his grace, he sent his one and only son to take that punishment of hell that we deserve. That's the point of And that's, that's when you, hey, believe me, when I first came to know Jesus, it was because God opened my eyes to what hell was and where I was going. 
And then when he revealed to me that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. <laughs> you want to talk about a happy man. Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, you go to a man who is on death row. He's ready to die for his crimes. And you give him a governor's pardon. Do you think the rest of his life he's going to be um, worried about this isn't just you know, the right way or, oh, the car you came to pick me up in isn't my right color? No, he's going to be so thankful and happy that he's been set free that he's not going to complain. Brothers and sisters, that should be us. Everything we get after not getting hell is icing on the cake. It's a cherry on top. Thank you, Jesus. Because here's the issue. If you reject Jesus, then you're going to have to face judgment on your own. I know I can't. Not even close. Think about it this way. We exchange the rule and reign of sin in our lives for the rule and reign of Jesus. We exchange our sinful record and our failure with Jesus' perfect record and his victory. We trade in being thrown into the fiery furnace when, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for being welcomed into the kingdom of heaven as a bona fide, true child of the king. I'm going to close with this. Remember, Jesus told these parables to his people, to his followers. I don't know how long you've been walking with Jesus, but there are some times that it gets tough to give up everything you have with joy. Can I get an amen? The things of this world start looking a little bit sparkling. You start realizing, I can have these things now. I'm sick of waiting. The question is, how do we get that joy back? Well, I'll tell you what the problem is when we lose that joy. We are experiencing something that some of us who are older kind of understand. It's called spiritual amnesia. You know, now that I'm older, I'm always searching for words, like because I forget things all the time. Well, sometimes spiritually, we are forgetful that we have been cleansed from our past sins. We are forgetful that we have a heaven that Jesus has won for us at the cost of his own blood. So what's the answer? The answer is always to remind each other and remind ourselves of what? The pearl of great price. One more little sappy song, but it's great. Here's the remedy. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we turn our eyes right now to you. We in this room, your children, your disciples, your followers, right here, we worship you as the pearl of great price, inestimable value. You are worthy, worthy, worthy. We can't thank you enough for being willing 
to be forsaken by the Father, that we would be received as sons and daughters of the King. Lord, renew our hearts and help us to live the Christian life with joy. When you call us to let go of something that we might receive something good from you, Lord, let us just let it go with great pleasure and help us to find our delight not in the sins of the flesh, not in worldly power, prestige, or popularity, but in knowing that we possess the treasure that's been hidden and that we are hidden in you. We pray these things in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.